There are several times in the Bible that we are called to examine ourselves. We're called to look into ourselves and see if things are right. It's kind of a, a good check for those um, for Christians to, to constantly be looking within ourselves. It's something we need to add to our prayer times where we're looking into ourselves and making sure that, that we're not allowing any sin to come into our life, we're not allowing anything to come in. And, and one of the things we need to look at is we need to be evaluating our salvation to make sure that we are truly saved. We need to discern that. Then also, as a Christian, we need to discern what's happening with our heart. Because from time to time, even with Christians, our hearts can get so hard. We can get so hard to where we stop caring about other people, we stop caring about other things, but more importantly, we stop being receptive to the Word of God. And we're going to look a little bit at that tonight, but one of the, I want to start with 2 Peter 1.10. If somebody's watching online can type those verses in for us as we go. Uh, that would be great. We'll be spending most of our time in the book of Matthew, but we're going to start in 2 Peter chapter number 1, verse number 10. He'd been talking, Peter was talking, and he gets down to, to verse 10. He says, Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. You see that phrase in there, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. What he's saying there is he's saying you need to give some time, some good time, some diligent time to making sure that your calling and your election, your salvation and your ministry, make sure that those things are, are real, to make sure that those things are true. It's easy to get caught up in the excitement of, of Christianity or faux Christianity. And you get caught up in the excitement of it and, and you have an emotional response to it, but you don't actually have a true conversion. You don't have a true change for Christ. Let's look in Matthew. We're going to look at some things where, where Jesus is teaching, and he's talking about soil. Now keep in mind, a lot of the people that he was preaching to were farmers. And those that weren't farmers, a lot of them were also fishermen, but they, they also understood farming because being a farmer wasn't just growing enough for everybody else. Sometimes being a farmer was growing what your family needed. This was kind of the, the standard back then that you know not everybody went to the store to get everything they needed, that they had to grow most of what they ate, or they'd go catch or hunt what it was that they ate, or they had to raise and slaughter what it is that they ate. We've gotten so lazy as a people now that if we ever fall off the grid, if we ever lose our ability to, to have stores with air conditioning and they can take electronic money and, you know, a good portion of our population is just going to die. I mean, that's just the reality of it. So many people don't have, you know, if everything went down today, you didn't have your electricity, you didn't have your refrigerators, you didn't have anything, how long could you survive? Are you growing anything? Back during the war, they had victory gardens, and each family was encouraged. And a lot of, a lot of it was just psychological, and that's fine. Psychological that if you were growing a garden then you would grow enough that you'd have for yourself. You'd also have enough that you could share. And the idea was that if things got really, really bad during the war to where we didn't have the, the, the supply lines, we didn't have the infrastructures, that we could still survive. So it's kind of a lost art today. So few people do that. That's why I, I, I get encouraged when somebody like Dean or somebody brings the mangoes. He, you know, I know we can't all survive on mangoes, but th that's the principle. He's got an excess, so he brings it to share. Hopefully somebody else will have an excess of something else that they're growing, like, I don't know, hamburgers. And uh, 
Oh my goodness, this hamburger tree is so full, I have to bring some to the church. And we can have hamburgers or a pizza tree or a pizza's growing trees or bushes. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You get the point. We, we need more of that, I think. We need more of that. But anyways, that, that's not the sermon today. That, that's a soapbox time. But in Matthew chapter number 13, Chapter 1, we'll go and start in chapter 1. We'll actually get into it a little bit further down. But chapter 1 says, The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside, and great multitudes were gathered unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. So here we see that Jesus is preaching. This is, this is on a Sabbath. It's the same day that he's talking about in chapter 12. If you want to go back, this is the Sabbath. So he's on the Sabbath, and he's preaching, and there's so many people that are kind of coming around him and thronging around him and everything, that he actually gets on a boat. He gets on a ship and he, he kind of goes out a little bit so that he's far enough off the shore to where people can see him, but they can still hear him, but he's not being pushed by the people. And they're all on the shore. This is an amazing thing about water. If you've ever been around water a lot, you can say something. Sound travels on water. You can't tell secrets on water unless it's a babbling brook. You know, If it's still water, you can't tell secrets because it goes all the way across. And so here he is, he's on this boat, and he's preaching. And verse number three, he says, and he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, behold, and he starts with a parable here, saying, behold, a sower went forth to sow. Now what is a sower? A sower is somebody that plants seeds. This isn't talking, this is S-O-W, not S-E-W. It's not somebody that's stitching something up. He's talking about somebody that is, is sowing seeds, and this sower went forth. The sower went forth, and he, what is he sowing? He's sowing the word of God is what he's sowing, but, but we're going to see it. We're, let's go ahead and read through it, and then we'll come back and break it down a little bit. Verse number four says, And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and, and forwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they, had, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into the good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So we see the first thing we see here is the, this, um, the story of the sowers. And so we're not left to try and figure out what this is. He actually tells us. What this all means, though, what this all means. If we look into, um, I didn't write down my reference. Verse number 19. Verse 18 says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. That is he which receiveth seed by the wayside. But he that receiveth the seed in stony places, the same as he that heareth the word, and, and, and Anon with joy receiveth it. Yet he hath not root in himself, but dureth for a little while, for, tribu for with tribulation or persecution riseth because of the word, by and by he is offended. He also that receiveth the seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the care of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becometh unfruitful. But he that receiveth seed unto good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. 
So we see the parable given, and then we see the parable explained. So let's break this down just a little bit. What does it mean This in verse, verse number 4 it says, For when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. When they would sow seeds in this time, each person had their own property. They didn't, they didn't have a lot of fences like we have today. They didn't have barbed wire and fence posts and things of that nature. If they had animals, sometimes they would, they would build up uh, uh, fences of rocks or some other things to be able to separate things. But oftentimes the property lines were actually the paths. And these paths are what people would use to get from one place to another. And so this is the part of the ground where people tread all the time. This is the wayside. And it was hard ground because people were always trampling on it. And so, you know, we'd say, go down the wayside, and, you know, Bob's farm's here and Joe's farm's here, and, and that's where they went. And when they would cast their seeds, some of it would, they would cast a little bit too far, and it would get on that path. Well, that path was hard, and it was like concrete. And so when they would throw it on that wayside, there, was, there, was a, a, there wasn't any place for it to take root. It was too hard. I told you there's kind of a dual meaning here today. There's a dual meaning here because this could be a sermon for the lost or this can be a sermon for the Christian that's sitting in church today. See, the lost, many times when the seed is cast to them, their heart is, heart is so hardened that they, it just kind of bounces off. It doesn't do anything. It never takes root. But likewise, sometimes Christians, you allow your hearts to get so hard that when you come to church, church becomes more about checking off a box than it does actually receiving the word of God. You sit, and when the Word of God is shared, you're, you're watching your watches and wondering, when is this going to be over? You're having a hard time staying awake because the Word of God isn't, isn't exciting to you anymore because your heart is so hard. And as the Word of God is given, it just kind of bounces off like the, that wayside. Hearts are hard. They're closed. Minds are closed. Hearts are like concrete. Nothing penetrates them. Now, for the lost person, this is a tragedy. Because for the lost person, when they've allowed their hearts to get so hard, the gospel doesn't penetrate right away. It bounces off that, that stony place, and they're condemned to hell. But for the Christian, it's also a tragedy. Because Christian, you have to live in this world right now. You have to live here. And you have to make a choice. God has given you the power and the ability to make a choice, not just about your salvation, but how you will live for him. I had a nurse come to me one time, and she says, I'm going to school, and they want me to, they want me to do a, a, a study on, on uh, spiritual growth. I'm like, okay. And she says, uh, can, can you, you think you can help me with that? I said, well, it depends. What is your, how does your school define spiritual growth? Because what I think of spiritual growth and what the world thinks of spiritual growth is two very, very different things. The world looks at spiritual growth and they think, well, you know, a talisman or, or the horoscopes or crystals or, or, or yoga or any of these other, that's all spiritual. It's, higher, it's a higher plane of existence. It's a higher plane of learning. No, it's all foolishness. It's all satanic. And so is that's what they're talking about spiritual? Well, I can help you, but you're not going to like what I got to say. But true spiritual growth is we, when, we, when we draw closer to God. And true spiritual, spiritual growth, by the way, isn't really that hard. Everybody, like, it seems like it's a mystery, right? We, we give you the key to spiritual growth. I wrote a book about you know, five principles of spiritual growth for Christians. It was just five, not all of them. 
But here's, here's, here's the simple truth about spiritual growth. You want to grow spiritually? Learn the word and apply it. That's how you grow spiritually. That's the simplistic form of how you can grow. That's how you grow spiritually. How do you learn the word? You got to read it. You got to study it. As you study it, as you read it, as you study it, and you apply it, guess what happens? You grow spiritually. That's how spiritual growth comes. That's how we, that's how we have the tools and the power that we need to be able to, to live in this world, to survive this world until Jesus Christ chooses to come back for us. Which hopefully is today. But we have to survive today. Because it might not be till tomorrow. And we have to survive tomorrow. And this world is not an easy world for anybody. And it's even harder on Christians. It's tough on Christians. And Christians, when you allow your hearts to get hard, when you allow your sympathies to get hard, when you allow your love to get hard, you're living no better than the lost. You're living like the heathens. You're being batted around without any guidance from the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit can't talk to your heart because your heart is like a rock. You control that, by the way. You control how hard your heart is. And when our hearts are hard and those seeds just kind of bounce off, the Bible tells us the wicked one comes and he snatches it away. Satan comes and he snatches those things away. So the, the word is given at church or you read the word, or you hear the word someplace else, and instead of it taking up residence, instead of it taking place in your heart to where you're able to grow spiritually, where you're able to apply it, the, the, the evil one, the wicked one comes, and he snatches those things away. There's no chance of them taking root. Because they're gone. Because you allowed your hearts to get hard. Many reasons why our hearts get hard. One is rebellion. We rebel against God. We rebel against God because we disagree with God or we don't understand something about God. God allowed somebody to die. God allowed me to lose my job. God allowed somebody to get sick. And then we become like the prophet Habakkuk. We start shaking our fist at God and we're saying, God, this isn't right. Justice doesn't prevail. Wrong judgment goes forth. And we base our, our experience and our, and our time with God and our, our trust in God. Instead, we, we allow it to, to focus in on one incident that we don't even have a full understanding of. And we allow that to harden our hearts. We kind of get into that cycle. It's, it's kind of a sad cycle. It's, it's one of those things where, where because our hearts are getting hard, harder, we don't, we don't appreciate the gospel anymore. We don't love the gospel anymore. So we start not paying attention to the gospel. We start not paying attention when, when the gospel is read and, and we talk through the, the, Holy, the Holy Spirit talks to us. We don't, we don't allow those things to happen. So we get into that cycle where it just gets harder and it gets harder and it gets harder. Sometimes we're just careless with it. We stop respecting the gospel. We, stop, we, stop, we start mishandling the gospel. 
We believe that the gospel is just an add-on to our life. Instead of being something that, that controls our lives, instead of it being life itself, it's just an add-on. It's an extra. It's, I'm all this, oh, and by the way, I'm also a Christian. I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, I'm this, and oh yes, and I'm a child of God. And we allow it to become an add-on to, to our lives instead of what it is that we are, what it is that we are, what it is that, that drives us, what it is that motivates us. We define ourselves in all kinds of ways. I'm a, I'm a father, I'm a, I'm a grandparent, I'm a, I'm a husband. And there's nothing wrong with those things, but, but my first identifier should be I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God first. It, when we become a child of God first, it changes the way we do the other things. It makes you a different kind of father and grandfather and husband. It makes you a different kind of employer or employee. It makes you a different kind of, of person. It makes you a different kind of citizen. It makes you different. And sometimes people are just deceived. They allow themselves to be deceived and their hearts get hard because they begin to, to look at church as just something that they need you know, for attendance. Being present in a worship service is good. But this isn't what being a Christian is all about. It's not about checking a box. In Acts 28, 27, Acts 28, 27 says, For the heart of this people is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and should be converted and I should heal them. It's just such a tragic statement. They can't hear. They can't see. Let me rephrase that. They don't want to hear. They don't want to see. They don't want to understand. And since they don't want those things... There's nothing we can do for them. All across the country today, most people aren't in church, but, but all across the country, in churches all across the country, there are people that are there and they're not paying attention. They're thinking about lunch or they're thinking about the, a game or they're thinking about where they're going to go after, after church. All these different things they're thinking about other than the gospel that's being presented today. Why? Because they're choosing not to hear. They're choosing not to see. They're choosing not to understand. They've closed their eyes. They've dulled their hearing. They've hardened their hearts. Verses 5 and 6 says, Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forwith they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some parts of Palestine at that time, some parts of Israel at that time, the ground, it looked good, but there was like limestone right underneath it. And so they had to make sure where they were planting was good soil. It was good ground. 
as they would go out before they would purchase land, they would dig into it to make sure that it wasn't limestone right underneath it. Because what would happen is you'd plant your, your, your plants, but the roots had no place to go. They couldn't grow. There was no place for them to grow. grow. They would look good for a while, but then they would die. When, when some type of turmoil would come, they would, they would die. It's always interesting that after a hurricane comes through, we, we discover all the living trees that were actually dying trees. You know, they look good, right? And then a 70-mile-an-hour wind hits them, and they just snap right off. Or they look good, and then we realize the root ball was only going about a foot deep. And they pull up, and you know, you can see all the roots underneath there because they just they weren't deep. They weren't deep enough to support it. They look good as long as there was no, no challenge. They look good as long as there was no conflict. They look good until, until that time of, of troubles and trials comes along. And many Christians are like that. Many Christians are like that. Many, many faux Christians are like that. To where they have an emotional response to the gospel. They, they claim to believe the gospel. They cl- want to live the gospel, but, but in actuality, it's all emotional. It's all emotional. So many churches today are built upon an emotional response. I study other, other pastors, and I study other preaching methods and everything, because I want, this, is, this is an art, and I want, I want to become better at it. I want to become a better preacher. It, it's, a, it's only a small part of what I do as a pastor, but I want to get better at it. And so sometimes I've, I've gone through some coaching and everything, and I remember one coach was telling us, he says, what you have to decide right at the very beginning is, is how you're going to instill an emotional response in the congregation. What? Excuse me? When he said it at first, I'm like, yeah, yeah. Uh, Wait, what? The Holy Spirit will give you an emotional response. It's not my job to trick you into an emotional response. Because if I'm tricking you into an emotional response, that's all you're getting. And sure, you're going to leave. You're going to be like, wow. I I couldn't, I was crying. I was laughing. I was angry, but I can, I, can ha- I can get you guys all emotional before you leave. Just let me go off script. You'll be talking about me for months, but that's not the gospel. The gospel doesn't need anything more than what it is. And the gospel is not about emotions. Now, sometimes there is an emotional response. I've seen many people when they've come forward and accepted Christ as their Savior and the tears are dripping down and wetting their shirts, there's so many tears. That's fine. And other people are very stoic. That's fine too. There doesn't have to be an emotional response. More often than not, there is though. But that's not me. That's between them and the Holy Spirit. This isn't about our emotions. But when we we desire that emotional response, we get caught up in that emotional response. I remember... (laughs) When I had moved down to South Florida, I ran into a person in the store, and they're like, hey, you gotta come, you gotta come to church. I'm like, all right, I'm looking for a church. And we've been to a few churches and couldn't find a good church. I'm like, we're, look, we're really looking for a, for a Baptist church. Oh, yeah, yeah, we're very much like Baptist churches. That should have been my clue right there. That should have been my clue when they said we're like Baptist churches. So we get there, and I'll tell you what, man, it, it was fun. People were dancing, and 
it was exciting. Had, had her youngest daughter was with us, Sessie, and she was loving it, man. She was up on the chairs and she's clapping her hands because she's four, you know. And that's and everybody else in there was acting like they were four. And uh, so I told V, I'm like, this isn't right. And she's like, yeah, I know. And it wasn't that they were excited and having a good time. It was just because that's all it was about. It wasn't about the gospel. It was just, it was a party. It was a rave and people with better clothes. But that's all it was. And so about 30 minutes in, the, the, the worship leader says, hey, we're going to take about a 15 minute break. Let everybody catch their breath, get something to drink. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, but I hear, this is my chance to escape without making a scene because I didn't want to offend anybody. So I'm like, Toby, like, get the kids, get the kids. And so everybody's like, you know, go to the bathrooms and everything. We're like, duh, 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 duh. and then I notice they're chasing us through the parking lot. I'm like, run! Get in the car, get in the car, get in the car. They're like, wait, brother, it's not over yet. It's not over. I'm like, oh, it's over. Because it wasn't anything about the gospel. It was all about that emotional response. If you're worshiping the Lord right, you'll often have emotional responses. But if that's your goal going in, then you're like these seeds. And the dirt's, your dirt's only like this. And the roots you're growing aren't going anywhere. And as soon as you have a bad emotion, your tree's falling over. Because you're not grounded in anything. Sometimes reading the Word of God is tedious. Sometimes studying the Word of God is tedious. But it's that tedious growth where we dig down deep with our roots is what keeps us stable when the winds come. And the winds will come. And they will blow. And they will do everything. This world will do everything it can to knock you over. And if your roots are only an inch deep, you're going to get blown over. You're going to get blown over. So, some interesting things about this person, though, in verse 5. You know, he hears the word. He receives the word immediately. It's not like it bounces off. He receives it. He receives the word with joy. But he only endures for a little while. Another place they call, they call these shooting stars. You know what a shooting star is, right? You go out during a meteor storm or something. It's not actually stars. It's, it's pieces of meteor or something else, sometimes junk that's falling. And when it hits the edge of the atmosphere, it gets a little bit of that oxygen, the heat that's on there, it lights up, right? And we see it like, whoa. And it's beautiful. Particularly if there's like a big meteor shower and you see one after another after another. It's pretty cool to sit outside and watch that, right? But what happens to that beautiful bright light about a second later? It's gone. Where'd it go? It's burned up. This is those people. They're done. The Bible calls them shooting stars. They're bright. They're real. They're on fire for God. And then next week, it's like, what happened to Bob? Where'd he go? He's looking for an emotional response someplace else. We've had many people come in here. Like I had a guy come in here one time. He was here for a week and he saw me. He's like, I want to I start teaching. I'm like, all right, great, great. Well, tell you what, let's, let's get to know each other a little bit first before I just I'll turn the pulpit over to you. You know, maybe like, what's your last name? You know, get to know you a little bit. And he got offended. He said, God's called me here. Who are you to tell me I can't stand in the pulpit and preach? Like, well, God gave me this pulpit. 
So guess what? I get to say who stands in and preaches. And I, I have to be discerning. I have to, you know, I, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a dictator by any means, but, but if God has entrusted this, this flock to me for this period of time, until he says to step down and let somebody else have it, I'm going to be very, very diligent with this. And he became very offended. And so the next week, he's, again, he's doing it again. I said, tell you what, how about instead of the pulpit, how about we start a, a small class? I'll, I'll be your first student. I'll sit in the class. I'll listen to your teaching. And, and we'll just kind of go from there. He agreed and never showed up again. Last I heard, he was starting an online church without walls. Well, your ceiling's going to fall in on you. No walls. It's a joke. Hey, you know, all the jokes aren't good. Just saying. But, like, I complimented my wife the other day because she laughs at everything. And I'm like, I know that wasn't funny, but I appreciate you laughing. So you guys can at least have the same respect and laugh even when the jokes aren't good. I'm just putting, putting that out there. Not you. Not you. Yeah, there has to be a certain level of sincerity. You just don't possess that. Ah. Verse number seven. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. So what are the thorns? The thorns are, is this world. You know, they, they fell among the thorns. Now, the soil's pretty good there because the thorns are growing. The problem is when the thorns come up around the plants, what is it? they choke them out. What are the thorns? The thorns this world. The thorns are our bills, our health, all these things. It's kind of similar to the other one that when, when turmoil comes, they start, to, they start to back off. The thorns are literally the cares of this world, the things of this world. They prick and prick away at the word. They entangle a person. They distract a person. They, they irritate. They aggravate. They trouble. They, they hinder the person from, from pursuing God from pursuing whatever ministry is laid before them. Instead of trusting the word of God, they, they focus upon all these thorns around them. They're very much like Peter when, when Peter was allowed to walk on the water. And he was walking on the water as long as he stayed focused on Jesus. But when he took his eyes off of Jesus and put him on the cares of the world or the storm that was raging around him, what happened to him? He sank. And it wasn't until he got his eyes back on Jesus. Let me just tell you something, Christian. I don't care where you are in your Christian life, there's going to be thorns. There's going to be thistles. There's going to be vines. There are going to be things that are going to try and choke you and take your attention away from God and away from his word. You've got to stay focused on Jesus. The only way you're going to survive those things is to stay focused on Jesus. If every time a thorn pops up and you're like, oh, my life is over, it's so horrible, it's so bad. Well, you're not focusing on Jesus. I'm not trying to be mean about that. I'm not trying to be uncaring about that. That's the reality. Bad things are going to happen. People are going to get sick. People are going to die. A few years back, I went to a high school reunion. I don't know why I went to the high school reunion. I didn't like any of those people in high school. And now I get there, and they're all fat and bald. And I'm like, man, I am so glad I have hair. And if that wasn't bad enough, the guys were just as bad. (laughs) 
But I'm looking around, and I'm like, hey, hey, where, where's, did my, is Mike coming? Where's Mike at? And I'm like, Mike died. So he's not coming? And I'm just I'm like, whoa, Mike died? How'd he die? And I mean, they go through this whole thing. It was tragic how he died. But like, he was in the papers. I don't get that paper. I'm not living there right now. And I'm like, somebody else, well, where's this person? Well, they died too. It was, you know, cancer. So I, after about the fourth one, I just stopped asking. Instead, I started asking people, who are you? I didn't recognize most of those people. But I'm thinking, you know, I'm too young to die. Be it all these people that are my age, they're just dropping. And as we get older, we see more and more of that. We're, you know, we, we lose more and more family members. We lose more and more people that, that we care about. And these thorns, they distract us. It's easy to get focused on all these people that have died, all these people that have gone on. But we can't allow the cares of this world to take our eyes off of Jesus. Because when we do, our hearts start to get hard. cares of this world. It's the deceitfulness of riches. Sometimes it's money. It's the deceitfulness of riches. Why does why he call it deceitfulness of riches? Because we think that if we have more money, if we have more riches, then we think what? We have less problems, right? Isn't that what we all think? If I could just win the Powerball. Well, I don't play the Powerball. If you play the Powerball and you win, I can help you factor the tithe. But I'm not condoning gambling. I'm just saying. But we, we focus and we think, man, if I had that much money, all my problems would be gone. No, you still have problems. It's just different problems. Yeah, you're not worried about making the rent anymore. But now you have a new problem. You have problems with all these new relatives that you never knew you had. All these people showing up at your house all the time. All these friends that you didn't know you had friends. They're not asking you to move anymore. They're asking you to buy them a new house and all the new stuff so they don't have to move. So you just have different problems. It's that deceitfulness of riches that we think if we just had more, and then we, we get into that cycle, well, 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 this wasn't enough if I just had a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And so suddenly all of our focus and all of our time is on, on the riches. It's that deceitfulness of the riches, and it takes our eyes off of God. It takes our eyes off of him, and he said that he would provide all of our needs. Yet we get into that cycle where we expect him. Or expect the riches to do it for us. Matthew 19, 23 says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 19, 23. You know, here's the thing about a rich man. A rich, it's not that a rich man can't go to heaven. He said hardly. You know why? It has nothing to do with the riches. It has to do with the man. Riches is a tool. Money is a tool. That's all it is. Just like a hammer. A hammer can be good or a hammer can be bad. A hammer can build something or a hammer can destroy something. Money can, can make you a better Christian or it can make you a worse Christian. Unfortunately, most of the time, it makes you a worse Christian. That's why he says, hardly. Rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. Saying it's not impossible. It can be done. But that man has to be very, very careful. He just needs to make sure his focus is upon 
God upon Jesus Christ. The Bible is full of rich people. David was extremely wealthy. God said he was a man after his own heart. He entered into the kingdom. So it's not impossible. But there were many others in the Bible. We look at the rich man in Lazarus. We don't even know his name. We only know his description because everything that defined him was he was wealthy. We don't know anything else about him other than he was a rich person. And that richness defined him. And he opened up his eyes in hell because of it. And Lazarus, who by the world standards had nothing, opened up his eyes and he was in the bosom of Abraham. A symbol of heaven. Or paradise. Only a small number, verse number 8, allow the word to take permanent root. It says, but others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit. Some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. Only a small number he hears the word of God. He understands the word of God. He applies the word of God. His heart is soft and tender. It's good soil. He uses this analogy of soil many times. You'll see the, the farmer when he goes out, one of the first things he has to do before he can plant, even if it's been planted before, he goes out there and what does he have to do? He has to break up the soil, right? Because the soil left unto itself gets hard. And our hearts left unto itself get hard. And they need to be broken up sometimes. We need to go before God earnestly in prayer and say, God, soften my heart and allow his word to come in. Allow ourselves to grow spiritually. We see that happening here. We see his, his soil is good. Then we see that he's fruitful. He bears the fruit of God. Bears the fruit of God's word, his spirit. We see the, the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. We won't, we won't turn there today, but you can look at that. Sometimes that's a, that's a good place to start, by the way. Go to Galatians 5, 22, and, and I think it's 22, and, and allow the, just start reading through the, 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 uh, the fruits of the Spirit and just look at that and say, is this in my life? Is this in my life? Because all those gifts, to a certain degree, should be manifest in your life if you've got a soft, receptive heart. Some more than others. Some much more than others. But all of them should be manifest in a certain, to a certain point. And sometimes it's good just look at that list in Galatians chapter 5 and just say, you know, am, am I manifesting joy? Is joy, manifest by the way means to make real, is joy real in my life? Or is it just a word? Do I truly have joy or do I just say that I have joy? Do I only have joy when, when there's something else that's encouraging me, or do I, do I have joy in the Word of God? These are tough questions to ask. Sometimes we need to go in prayer and talk to God and pray these things and say, God, why don't I have joy? God, why, why am I impatient? Why, don't, why am I not long-suffering? And we, we've talked through these things with God. And let Him talk to us. Let Him soften our hearts. We'll start to see these things being manifested inside of us. This is a, a glorious encouragement of the fact that, that here they are hearing God's word. It's falling on good ground. It's not returning void. By the way, fruit, specifically the fruits of the Spirit, is what distinguishes 
the true Christian, the true follower of Christ from the hypocrite. It's the fruit. We go out and we look at the trees. Dean's brought us mangoes two weeks in a row. Is there any doubt that the tree that's producing the mangoes is a mango tree? There's no way you can doubt that, right? Because you just look at it and it's got so much fruit. It's falling on the ground. There's so much fruit coming off this. There's no doubt. You don't have to look at it. Have you ever done this? You ever looked at it and somebody said, what kind of tree is that? And you're like, uh, I think it's a lemon or a lime. Or a, and you're not sure. You can kind of figure out it's a citrus, but you're not sure what kind of citrus because you don't know. Why? There's no fruit. But as soon as the first orange pops out, you're like, that's an orange tree. Without a doubt. Christians were the same way. You know, you can look at other people in here and say, well, I think he's a Christian. He goes to church. He says the right words. But until you see the fruit, you really can't be sure. You really can't be sure. It's the fruit that distinguishes the hypocrite from the Christian. And then we have a shocking truth in verse number 8. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. The shocking truth here is that all, not all believers are equal. God will use other, some believers in a bigger way than he'll use other believers. And some people take offense to that. They're like, well, why is his ministry so much bigger than mine? Or why is her work so much greater than mine? And it's, there's no comparison here. The one that has the 30 is just as, as, as blessed as the 60 as is the 100. Because God uses each of us in a different way. And we look into Jesus and his ministry, and he had, you know, we, he had the 12 disciples, but he had many other people that followed him. But he had his 12. You say, well, that's not fair. Why, why is he singling out those 12? Why are they more blessed? They just are. He chose those 12. And then within that 12, he had his inner circle. There was a couple, two or three, that would go with him. John and, and, and Peter they would go with him where other disciples weren't allowed to go. James. The other disciples weren't even allowed. No, no, you guys stay here. I'm just taking my three favorites. You know, I always thought to myself, man. That's, Jesus wanted us to understand. And it's not that you know John didn't get to heaven any quicker than anybody else. Actually, John was the last one to get there. Imagine that. The, the disciple that Jesus loved. The one that was the closest to him was the last one to get to enjoy any of heaven. So it's not about that. It's not about, it's not about heaven. It's not about that. It's just we're used differently here. But we're all used. We produce different fruit here. But we all produce, if we are truly Christians with a soft heart, every single one of us. There's a decision that has to be made. Verse number nine, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, there needs to be a decision made. I'm not just saying this to be saying it, Jesus is saying. He's saying there needs to be a decision. You need to receive this. You need to do something with this. You either need to accept it or you need to reject it. But there is no sitting on the fence. It's one of two things. If you're here today and you've never accepted the gospel, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then this is talking about your heart being receptive to Jesus Christ. You can choose to have a, a, a stony heart and those seeds bounce off, or you can choose to have a soft, good-soiled heart where those seeds can take root and where they can grow. 
and you can become a fully developed Christian, a fully developed follower for Christ. But you have to make that choice. You have to decide what it's going to be. You have to make that, you have to make that decision. It's either column A or column B. There is nothing else. There's nothing in between. There is no gray area. You're either heaven bound or you're hell bound. That's it. The world hates that message, by the way, because they want a message that's based upon tolerance. Well, God is extremely tolerant. If he wasn't tolerant, I wouldn't be here. If he wasn't tolerant, you wouldn't be here. But tolerance does not mean condoning sin. He deals with sin. Every time Jesus sat down with a sinner, it wasn't there to, to endorse his sin. It was there to call the sinner to repentance. To tell that sinner they were wrong. And they needed to change. A decision has to be made. If you're here today, you've already accepted the gospel. The decision still has to be made. Are you allowing your heart to be soft enough for the, the word of God to penetrate it? To come in to change it? To mold it? To where you become more and more like Christ every single day? That's our goal. That should be our goal as Christians. Every day I wake up, I want to be more and more like Christ. It's not based upon how I feel because some days I don't feel Christ-like at all. I don't really have those days where I can feel like I can walk on water yet. But I feel like I'm heading in the right direction. But it's your choice, Christians. And he tells us we have to make a choice. Who have ears to hear, let him hear. You got ears? Can you hear? Then you got to make a choice. You've got to make a decision today.